So Psalm 29 is a psalm of David. We're going to read all 11 verses. Let's remember as we hear this that this is God's word. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple... All cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as a king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word now. And we pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would illumine the words of this psalm. And by illuminating them and applying them to our hearts, that you would make us to cry glory. We pray that this psalm would help us to recognize how perfect and powerful you are. We pray that it would help us to realize that you, Lord, give peace. And we pray that today we would be able to stand in awe of your glory and realize that you are the one who gives and creates peace. Lord, if anything that I say doesn't come from you, please make it fall to the ground and pass away and be forgotten. But everything that is from you, let it strengthen our trust in Jesus. And we pray that you would work in power now, that you'd take these words and that you would apply them to our hearts and minds and souls and that we would live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've tagged this sermon this morning, Peace in Our Time. On September 30, 1938, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain walked out of a plane and delivered a speech to a crowd that had gathered on the tarmac outside of his plane. It was a speech in which he announced that he had come to an agreement with the German Chancellor, Adolf Hitler. The speech has come to be remembered as the Peace in Our Time speech. The exact phrase that he used was Peace for Our Time. It reflects the fact that Prime Minister Chamberlain was attempting to carve out peace for the people of England and for Europe through the use of a policy of appeasement. He was making political and material concessions to Nazi Germany and fascist Italy in an attempt to avoid war. And as Prime Minister Chamberlain stood on the tarmac surrounded by supporters, he gave this following address. I'm going to read some of it for you now, and I'm going to resist the urge to try to do his exalted British accent. 
He said, the settlement of the Czechoslovakian problem, which has now been achieved, is, in my view, only the prelude to a larger settlement in which Europe may find peace. This morning, I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler, and here is the paper, and at this point, he lifted up the paper. He said, here is the paper which bears his name upon it as well as mine. At that, there were great cheers that erupted from the crowd, and he went on and said, some of you perhaps have already heard what it contains, but I would like to read it to you, which he does. He concludes by saying the conclusion of the agreement. We regard the agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of our two peoples never to go to war with one another again. He followed it up later at his residence saying, my good friends, for the second time in our history, a British prime minister has returned from Germany bringing peace with honor. I believe that it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Go home and get a nice, quiet sleep. Throughout history, the speech is remembered for its ironic value. By appeasing, instead of opposing, the evil of the Nazi regime, Hitler was, in fact, emboldened, not chastened. And it was less than a year after the announcement from Prime Minister Chamberlain that peace had been attained for Europe that Germany declared war against France and the United Kingdom and World War II began in earnest. The largest and the deadliest war in human history. Upwards of 85 million people would lose their lives in this global conflict. There's a message that resounds through history from this particular moment. It's an ancient lesson and a basic one, but one that's extremely difficult to learn. It needs to be learned again and again and again in generation after generation after generation. Peace is never attained by appeasing evil. It's never attained by managing evil. The only way that peace comes, in fact, is by subduing evil, by destroying evil. And this psalm, Psalm 29, ancient and beautiful, this psalm, the poet, David uses ancient forms to show us that peace comes to those who belong to the peace giver, the one who can triumph over evil. David uses this poetry to show the peerless power of the Lord God, to articulate how he triumphs over every false deity, how he takes over the territory of every pagan god, how God alone, the one true God is the only one who can give peace. This is an ancient poetic form that David uses here. I think it's really striking and beautiful. You may have noticed in our first read through it that there's one phrase that's repeated over and over and over again. That phrase is just very simply, the Lord, the Lord. That phrase appears 18 times in the psalm. Every verse, except verse 6 and almost always twice in each verse. And the repetition of his name, of the name of the Lord, builds and draws you into the psalm and through the psalm, enables you to find yourself in the midst of the picture painted by the vivid words of the psalm. The repetition of the name of the Lord builds just like a building storm. And as we witness the glory of God, and the building repetition and artistry of this psalm. We should cry out with those who are in the temple, glory, glory. The psalm gives us a few different perspectives. 
We start at the very beginning of the psalm in heaven with the Lord God. And then in verse 3, we're sort of taken back to the earth where the glory of God spreads out across the whole earth. And the psalm ends again in the throne room of God where God sits above all powers and gives peace. And so let's take a look at these three sections. There are three sections of the psalm. First, God's perfection. Second, God's power. And last, God's peace. You can see that God's perfection is talked about in verses 1 and 2, God's power in verses 3 through 9, and God's peace in verses 10 and 11. So let's make our way through this beautiful psalm, starting with God's perfection in the first two verses. Let me read them again. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The psalm begins by relaying to us the utter perfection of God, perfect in power and love and purity. God is so great. God is so powerful. God is so perfect that even the heavenly beings are a called to ascribe to God glory and strength. Because of his perfection and power and purity, all the hosts of heaven are directed by the psalm to give him praise, to worship him, to proclaim his perfection. The hosts of heaven, you have to understand, are astounding in their own right, in their glory and majesty. They are astounding. Revelation chapter 22 records for us an astounding scene. The apostle John, having been shown the heavenly hosts by his heavenly messenger and angel, having been shown visions throughout the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 22, John falls on his face and tries to worship the messenger, the angel that has shown him all of these sorts of things. So glorious is the messenger of God who's showing John this vision of heaven that he thinks that he falls on the ground to worship him. This apostle, the apostle falls before this heavenly messenger to worship him. And the angel needs to rebuke him. Revelation 22, verse 9 tells us this. But he said to me, John writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren and the prophets and of those who, heeds the word, who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Even the shining ones, the glorious ones, the beautiful and powerful ones on high are called to lift their voices in praise to God, to acknowledge how greatly God's glory transcends their own. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. You glorious and strong ones, you need to talk about how much the glory and strength of the Lord God excels your own. You glorious ones, affirm his name is greater than your own. You holy ones, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Talk about the fact that he is holier than you. That the one whose name is the Lord is not simply holy. He's not simply holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Holiness itself finds its existence in God. Therefore, all of you heavenly hosts, lift up your name in praise and worship to the one who is perfect and peerless to the Lord. God, you see, is peerless. God is powerful. God is perfect. And so even the hosts of heaven are called out at the very beginning of the psalm to worship the Lord in his perfection and glory and holiness. And after two verses, from the perspective of heaven, 
where the hosts of heaven are crying out in praise to our glorious God, were then taken by the psalm to the earth. And at first we stand on the shore and we look in the distance at a coming storm. And in the second part of the psalm, verses 3 through 9, the power of our great God is extolled. This is the longest section of the psalm, and this is the section that builds and builds and builds. In this whole section, the power of God is described by likening God to a powerful storm. And like I mentioned at the beginning, the repetition of the Lord's name in this draws us into this vivid metaphor for God's power, that of a building an incomparable storm by which we first witness at a distance and then become enveloped by One thing that we should note before we immerse ourselves in the storm is that David here writes a masterful poem to embarrass the false gods that seek to stand up to the Lord. The Canaanite gods are either subtly or not so subtly mocked here in this psalm. The power and glory of the Lord God is first said to reside over the waters. Now, in Canaanite mythology, their chief deity was supposed to dwell over the waters, and and the false god Baal, or Baal, is said to be the one that had control over the storm. That's not at all the picture that we have in Psalm 29 here. The Lord God is not controlled by anything other than himself. He is the power And immediately he takes over the domain of the great God of the Canaanites. Later in the psalm, when we're told about Lebanon, we see the Lord God shaking the mountains and the cedars on the Lebanon mountains. This was another place that Canaanite deities were supposed to dwell. And so as we make our way through this central part of Psalm 29, we see that God, with no problem, is able to occupy all of the places that the false gods apparently dwelt. God is peerless in power. Like a building storm, God's glory covers every stronghold of every false god. And this psalm shows the Lord to be the sole unrivaled power of the universe. I've been talking about how God's likened to a storm, but do you see it in the text? Do you see it in verse 3? The voice of the Lord is over the waters, says verse 3. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. At the very beginning, the voice of the Lord is compared to thunder. And if you take a look at verse 7 with me, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Completing the analogy of a storm, God's voice is compared first to thunder and later to lightning. He is like a powerful storm here. If David wanted to describe the power of God, the use of a thunderstorm, or perhaps even a hurricane is the way that God is described here, this was the perfect metaphor to use to describe God's power. It's absolutely ideal. There is little power in the whole world like that of a great hurricane. It combines rushing wind with torrential downpours and with flashes of lightning and with great rolls of thunder. NASA says that an average-sized hurricane, not a great one like described here in Psalm 29, an average-sized hurricane disperses the energy of 10,000 nuclear bombs. That's incredible potency, and it tells us that there is no power like the power of God. I don't know if you've ever been caught up in a storm. I know that I have been on a few rare occasions, most particularly when I was a camp counselor in Wisconsin at the Christian Reform Camp, Camp Kelvin. Some days would be incredibly beautiful, but some days we would know that there was a storm coming, and so we weren't surprised when in the distance we would start to see a cloud rolling in. You'd see what looked like just little flash bulbs in the, in the thunder cloud at a great distance, and you would hear 
a fair bit after just little rumbles, knowing that the storm was coming. But then it would come nearer, and as the storm would come nearer, the, the light would dim as clouds covered over the sun, and so the flashes of lightning started to be a little bit more brilliant, and the rumble became a little bit more continuous rumble. And sometimes this would happen when you were at the lakefront at times of canoeing, and that's when uh, the lifeguards would tell you, out of the water, you can't be in the water when lightning is coming, and we would start making our way with haste to the cabins because we knew that the storm would pretty quickly overtake us. And sometimes it would. On your way back to the cabin, all of a sudden, instead of it being distance, now you would be enveloped by it, and a torrential rain would soak you to the bone immediately. You would see flashes of light just cut the now dark sky, and immediately they'd be accompanied by an absolute boom of thunder that would shake your insides, and from somewhere inside of you, your legs would start to run, even unbidden, because you realize, I have got to get out of the power of this storm. And we would make our way to Friendship Lodge, which was the central lodge in the camp, but even once we were inside, the thunder would shake the building that we were in. There is no power like the power of God. And we'd have to calm the kids down, tell them everything that was you know, going to be okay. But even as we were saying it, we were running through the emergency procedures in our own mind about where we would need to get to get away from the power and the potency of the storm. God's voice is like thunder and lightning. His power is like that of an incomparable storm. And the storm rises in the psalm. We're now in the midst of it. The scene shifts from seeing the storm at a distance over the waters to being immersed by it on the mountains of Lebanon surrounded by the great cedar trees of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. These great trees, long established and strong, at just the voice of God, they're broken. And in the midst of this psalm, we see that just the Lord raises his voice and these great trees are reduced to splinters. The storm is so great that the thunder booms and turns great cedar trees into splinters. The power of God makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. These nations at various times were great and powerful, but before the power of God, they're like young animals that just skip and dance around. They're pleasant to watch. They're not fearful or terrible. There's no power like the power of the Lord God. All the strongholds of the pagan gods fall before him. The power of the mightiest nations can't stand against him. No place is free from him. The sea, the mountains, the forest, and the wilderness. He's there in the wilderness as well. Not only exploding the trees on the mountains of Lebanon, but also shaking the wilderness of Kadesh. But the power of God is not simply destructive. He can break trees and he can shake the wilderness. He can overwhelm the fortresses of false deities. But the power of God is also generative. He makes the deer give birth. Now, I don't know if this section of the psalm kind of stood out to you as we were reading. It did for me, verse 9, right? The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. I've got to confess that I think this is a little weird of an insertion. God's power is so great that the sea resounds with his glory, that the trees explode, that the wilderness is shaken, and also deer give birth. 
I don't know what that's all about. It seems really surprising to me that they just insert this. Yeah, and deer are going to be giving birth because God is a storm. I read a bunch of commentaries about it, hoping that they would illuminate it, and one of the crazy things is that almost all the commentaries just skip over verse 9. They don't talk about it. It's a cop-out. I can't tell you exactly why it is that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David inserted this verse here, the beginning part of verse 9. But what I do think is important for us to realize is that the power of God is not simply a dumb power. And it's also not simply a destructive power. The power of God is great enough to lay bare all of the power of the nations that stand opposed to the people of God. But it's also intelligent and generative enough to create new birth. And someone who finds themselves in the world that the psalm has painted for us, surrounded by the power of God as a storm, the awesome and enveloping and destructive and generative and peerless and potent power of God. There is one fitting response for us. As we look out and see God's might and power, there is one fitting response, and that fitting response is one word. Glory. I love that in the psalm that all who are gathered in the temple bearing witness to the incomparable power of God look out and just say, glory. Glory. All who are in his temple cry, glory to God. That should be the cry of your heart today. And it should be the cry of mine as well. Glory to God. God, you are glorious. There is no one else like you. Glory. hope that you see that if you oppose God, you're a fool. It is the most foolish, foolish thing in the world to take a look at God's great, peerless, incomparable power and to say, yeah, I'm going to go my own way. And it is the wisest thing in the world to take a look at the incomparable power and glory of God and to cry out, glory. I want to hide myself in him. I want to find my strength in his. I want to find my peace in his. And yet the crazy thing is that knowing that God is incomparable in power, how often you and I are like, yeah, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. You know what? I'll give to God this part of my life, but not this one. You know, it, it's okay. You know, it's, if you do your own thing, you want to stand against God, that's whatever. That's nonsense. Anyone who reads Psalm 29 really reads it and finds themselves within it and meets the God of the Bible described in power in Psalm 29, man, your response should not be like, okay, I'll, uh, I'll take God at the times I want to and I will leave him at the times I don't. No, 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 no. You cry glory. Glory. Take my life and let my life be consecrated, Lord, to thee 
take my moments and my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. God, take every part of me. You are beyond compare and your power is above all else. Let me give myself to you and let me no longer walk in my own strength or power or potency, but instead in your ways, God, because you are the glorious and perfect one. Let me give myself to you. The psalm has one more movement for us. Having described the building power of God in verses 3 through 9, the scene shifts one more time. And we're taken to the throne room of God. God sits here at peace above everything else. The Lord, we're told, sits enthroned as king forever in verse 10. The unmatched power and glory of God means that he is able to subdue all forces that stand opposed to him and sit, and sit on the throne. And the psalm testifies that the Lord is going to sit on his throne forever. There will never be a time in the history of the universe where a pretender to the crown will rise up and be able to remove the Lord from his throne. God's power is so great and so peerless that he and he alone is the sovereign of the universe. He always has been. He is now. He always will be. No power will ever stand up to him or stand against him. And because the Lord God sits on the throne and doesn't simply appease evil, does not simply give concessions to any that would stand against him, God can give you who trust in him strength and peace. And the psalm ends by saying, may the Lord give strength to his people. Of course we would cry out for strength from God. There is no one that is strong like him. He is on the throne. He is the giver of all strength. You need strength? Cry out to God for it. He is the one that gives it. And then it ends with this beautiful phrase, may the Lord bless his people with peace. And of course, God, and God alone can offer you peace. Because God is powerful without measure and without compare. God sits enthroned in the splendor of his holiness. God is glorious beyond all of the hosts of heaven. God will occupy all enemy territory. God will put to death, death and sin and the devil. And in fact, he did. As Christ Jesus was going to the cross and looked for all the world not like a powerful storm, but like a weak man beaten by all the forces of darkness in this present age. As he submitted himself to death and death on a cross, as he allowed his arms to be stretched out, his hands to be nailed and his feet to be nailed to the cross, Jesus Christ, the God-man, didn't, didn't look like a storm didn't look like he could 
speak and allow the trees to explode into splinters. No, 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 he was nailed to a tree. And as he breathed his last and gave up his spirit to the Lord God, he won an amazing victory. He proved it by his resurrection. Jesus, Jesus defeats sin and death and the devil. Any power that might stand against him is destroyed by the incomparable power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Death, death could not hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. He got up and he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God. He is enthroned forever. There is no power like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want peace? You need to go to the one who has won peace by defeating all of the forces of darkness. Jesus never appeased evil but defeated it and therefore he can give peace. One of the things that you and I know very presently and immediately at this particular time where there is a great deal of unrest is that we need peace. And right now there are a great deal of political leaders that will talk about political paths to peace and all of that is good and appropriate. Political leaders should do that sort of thing. But I want to tell you right now that political solutions will never bring lasting peace. And while we should work for peace through the means that we have, while we should use our resources to, to advocate for peace, while we should seek to elect politicians and leaders that will lead in a way that will bring peace, we have to understand that none of these things will bring an ultimate or lasting peace. Do you want to know how a lasting peace will come to you? And to the world, be reconciled to God. This is the way that peace comes, by being reconciled to God, by saying there is one giver of ultimate and lasting peace, and that is God. And that means that if you are somebody who is reconciled to God, if you are somebody who wants peace, then you need to be able to ask and to pray the bold prayer, well, Lord, defeat all of the evil and the darkness that's inside of me. Come like a storm into my own life and expose all of the sin that resides in my own heart, which on my own strength is black. Expose that sin, Lord. Reveal it and destroy it. Cause all of your glory and might to remove all of the darkness from me and let me be a servant of your grace and glory and perfection. And use me to be an agent of peace. Because there's only one source. There's only one source of lasting peace. For some, for some reason we forget. I mean, we forget just over and over and over again. Maybe I will have peace by appeasing evil or sin in my life or in the world. Maybe, maybe I'll have peace by just closing myself off to the news or, or stopping thinking about these sorts of things or getting off of Facebook for a while. I mean, that might bring some temporary reprieve from conflict, but if you want lasting peace, be reconciled to God and find, find that as he conquers you and takes control over your life, 
that you are given peace. It's a blessing that the Lord gives to his people. It can be yours today if you trust in God. Be reconciled to God. And know that the one against whom no power can stand, that he will give to you his trust, his, ch his child who trusts in him, strength and peace. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we acknowledge your incomparable power. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are peerless. And we pray that we would cry out, glory. And we pray that understanding that you are enthroned over all of the chaos and the flood, that you are enthroned forever, that you alone are the one who can give strength and peace. We pray this asking that you would give us strength and peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we leave this church today and go into the world, Hear and listen to the words of the Lord's blessings. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his shine, face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace.